Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 85 of the show, and it's another uh, information-packed episode for you. Lots to get into. Uh, The PGA Tour regular season is winding down, so we'll get you caught up on that. Preview this weekend's tournament. And, and of course, do a Major League Baseball standings update. We have resumed play after the All-Star break. And uh, NFL training camps are officially underway, so we'll uh, talk about some NFL news, uh, NHL, NBA, and uh, National Hockey League news in our Around the Island segment. Lots to get into in that as well. So we're going to start off jumping right into the PGA Tour. This past weekend's tournament was the 3M Open, which was held at TPC Twin Cities in Blaine, Minnesota, just right outside Minneapolis-St. Paul. It was a rare par 71 course, a distance of 7,431 yards. The course itself, I talked about it last week, built on a former sod farm, so it uh, u- utilizes natural rolling terrain, of course, very undulating, a uh, lot of water on this course. Um, you know, the weather for this tournament was very good. Uh, the Midwest has had some terrific weather this summer, and the weather was pretty much perfect uh, all tournament long here this past weekend. The course looked great, very green, um, a lot of sunshine, warmer temperatures. So uh, all in all, the weather certainly cooperated. I talked about this being the third to last event left on the uh, regular season schedule for the PGA Tour this year. FedEx Cup points were at a premium. Um, the top 125 golfers get into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, This tournament followed the Open Championship that we discussed in length last week, so typically the fields uh, after a major championship, immediately following a major championship, are not great, Uh, but this one was okay. Uh, We had six former major champions in the field, a lot of recognizable names, uh, Matsuyama, Finau, M, Day, Fowler, a couple of young rookies, Davis Riley, Sahith Tagala. Uh, A lot of those guys didn't play great. Uh, we did also have a PGA Tour exemption in the field. It was former pro tennis player Marty Fish. All right, He's from Minneapolis, St. Paul, so he received a tour exemption. Um, he is one of the celebrities that's actually very good at uh, golf, very low handicap, solid amateur. Uh, he's a former silver medalist in the 2004 Olympics but uh, for tennis, but he uh, is a fantastic golfer. He played in the celebrity tournament Lake Tahoe a few weeks ago and and finished pretty high on the leaderboard there. But um, he joined a list of uh, the likes of Tony Romo, Mark Mulder, and Steph Curry uh, as pro athletes that have received a PGA Tour exemption to play either on the PGA Tour or in the Corn Ferry Tour. Now, he didn't finish great. I think he was 
13 over after two rounds, which of course missed the cut, uh, shot a 10 over, I think 81 in his first round. So that just tells you as good of an amateur golfer as he is, uh, he's nowhere near what, what a pro golfer uh, on tour can do. So uh, round one in this thing, I mentioned Hideki Matsuyama being probably the most recognizable name in the field, uh, Masters winner from uh, over a year ago. He did not have a great round one, uh, but it really went south when he got to the par five 18th hole. All right. He actually ended up, he hit his first shot, uh, landed kind of near the edge of the water on 18, and then proceeded to hit three straight shots into the water, uh, which resulted uh, in him getting a quadruple bogey, which would be a nine on the scorecard for that hole. Uh, that's just something you don't see a whole lot on the PGA Tour. Uh, makes you realize that, yes, this dude won the Masters in 2021, um, and he hit three straight shots uh, in the hole, uh, uh, in the water, uh, on the same hole. Um, so that's, you know, uh, something we just don't see, but it, it makes you realize that these pro golfers are human too uh, at some point. Uh, except Cameron Smith. Okay, last week, you'll, Cameron Smith is just an absolute machine. Uh, but uh, Matsuyama ended up withdrawing from the tournament after that uh, round one. That was his final hole, obviously, hole 18. Uh, he ended up uh, withdrawing from the tournament. Uh, nothing really of note in round two. Round three, Tony Finau, incredible putt on the uh, par four ninth hole. He actually, uh, his third shot landed on the fringe, of the green just to the left of the hole. Um, so his his fourth shot basically for par uh, was from the fringe there. Probably only had about 20-ish to 25 feet to the hole. He ended up turning his putter, so he sh was striking the ball with the toe of his putter instead of chipping it or really just putting it from there. He ended up using the toe of his putter to hit it, and he ended up sinking it uh, for par, so that was pretty incredible. Um, Nothing really eventful happened in, in round four per se, uh, other than Tony Finau's spectacular play. Uh, that putt, obviously, in round three kind of kick-started him. Tony Finau ended up going on to win the 3M Open, so Finau was your winner. It was his third career victory on tour. Now, after the third round, Scott Piercy was your leader uh, at 18 under par, uh, Tony Finau was way back at 13 under par, five shots back of Scott Piercy heading into the final round. And Tony Finau ended up winning this thing. And not only did he win it, he won by three shots. So that made Tony Finau the first golfer since 2018 uh, to win a PGA Tour event by three plus strokes after trailing by five plus strokes through 54 holes. So very impressive stuff there. Tony Finau's final score was 17 under par. He actually opened Thursday with a four under 67 and closed on Sunday with a four under 67 as well. And in between, he uh, on Friday, he shot three under 68. And his best round was Saturday was a uh, six under 65. That got him up uh, near the top of the leaderboard, and then he did the rest of his work on Sunday. Um, complete collapse by Scott Piercy. We'll get to him in a minute. Two-way tie for second place at 14 under par. That's three shots back of Finau was Sung J M and Emiliano Grillo. Uh, both of those guys were at 14 under par. Um, Sung J M opened with a six under 65. 
Uh, Grillo had a 65 of his own on Friday's second round. Both those guys played pretty well all weekend. Uh, Three-way tie for fourth, all right, at 13 under par. It was James Hahn, Tom Hoagie, and Scott Piercy. All right, now, I mentioned Piercy finished uh, at 13 under, but I had just said that he ended round three at 18 under, all right? So that means that he shot a five over 76 on Sunday, which uh, came out of nowhere because uh, Piercy had been leading this thing from basically from start to finish. He shot six under 65 in round one, seven under 64 in round two, and uh, five under 66 in round three. So he was your leader pretty much throughout the whole tournament and then came out and just uh, basically collapsed on Sunday uh, with a five over 76, and that allowed Tony Finau to take charge and move right on up the leaderboard into that first place slot uh, where Sung J.M., Emiliano Grillo, uh, they didn't. Uh, Grillo shot even par on Sunday, and uh, Sung Jm was only three under on Sunday. So uh, that allowed Tony Finau to get up to that seventeen under par. Uh, but all in all, I mean, not not a great tournament. Uh, not a whole lot of big names. Like I said, it was kind of an average average field. Uh, maybe a little better than what we're used to seeing uh, the week after an Open Championship. But a lot of the guys that played. Uh, at the Open at St. Andrews the week prior, missed the cut. Sahith Thigala, uh, Dylan Fratelli, uh, I think Cameron Tringali played over there at St. Andrews. Uh, those guys all, Garrick Higo, uh, he was over there at St. Andrews. All those guys missed the cut. Of course, Hideki Matsuyama, he would not have made the cut uh, had he continued on in that second round. So all those guys played at St. Andrews and all of them missed the cut. So um, I know Finau played at St. Andrews, and he, of course, won the thing here this week. But, um, you know, that just goes to show you, you know, that the, the time change, traveling back to the States and immediately jumping into a tournament uh, is is pretty grueling, which is why we don't usually see a great field in this thing. But uh, that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and that is at the Detroit Country Club in Detroit, Michigan. It is a par 72 distance is 7,370 yards. All right, the course itself is more than a century old, uh, hasn't been used on the PGA Tour uh, for but three, this is the third tournament. Uh, for 2019 was the first time um, it was used on tour, um, at least recently. It was updated, the course was updated, of course, back in 2019, uh, when when the tour initially started using this course, uh, the course itself is technically a composite course. All right, so it's kind of pieced together. There's there's a north course and a south course here at the Detroit Country Club. So the layout for the PGA Tour is comprised of 17 holes from the north course and one hole from the south course. All right, so the layout begins with holes eight and nine, uh, serving as the first and second hole. Uh, that's that's on the north north course holes eight and nine are hole uh, the first and second hole, followed by hole one from the south course, serving as the third hole. The course then plays holes two through seven on the north course as holes four through nine. All right, kind of confusing the way they do that, but the standard north course back nine holes make up the final nine holes of this tournament. So uh, the front nine, as it's pieced together, like I said, beginning on the north north course, holes eight and nine, followed by south course, hole, th- um, hole one, 
Then North Course holes two through seven to finish out the front nine. Uh, that front nine, that, that the holes that will play as the front nine, uh, much heavier tree line uh, than the back nine, tighter fairways, uh, requiring more accurate tee shots. All right, now the back nine holes are a little more dramatic, at least as we've seen since 2019. In fact, last year, Cam Davis uh, went eagle birdie in his final two holes to get into a playoff, ended up winning the playoff. Now, probably the most notable feature of the Detroit Country Club is that um, using the metric of deviation of terrain change, okay, measures 2.18 feet, which is the flattest course on the PGA Tour. The total elevation change at the Detroit Country Club from highest point to lowest point is only 43 feet. So it is not an undulating course, very flat. Uh, For comparison purposes, uh, Augusta National, where the Masters is played, um, that elevation change is 148 feet. Uh, Whereas, like I said, the Detroit Country Club is only 43 feet. So uh, very, very flat course, the flattest course on tour uh, just ahead of TPC Louisiana. So terrain is not going to be anything like they've seen the last few weeks uh, between TPC Twin Cities last week, uh, St. Andrews the week before that. Of course, that was in Scotland. Then the Renaissance Club uh, where the uh, Scottish Open was held. Uh, that was certainly very undulating as well, link style golf. So um, yeah, nothing like they've seen the last two weeks. Very flat course. All right. Now, The Rocket Mortgage Classic is the uh, penultimate, which is the second-to-last event on the calendar for the PGA Tour's regular season. So FedEx Cup points, again, coming at a premium. Uh, Top 125 players in the FedEx Cup rankings after next weekend's tournament are going to be in the FedEx Cup playoffs. So uh, the field is pretty solid for this week. Uh, We got a top 10 golfer in the world that's out there. That'll be Patrick Cantlay. He's ranked fourth in the world. And several other highly ranked players. Uh, You got Will Zalatoris coming out for this thing. The Open Championship runner-up, rookie sensation Cameron Young. He'll be teeing it up out there. Uh, Sahith Thigala, another great rookie. He's going to be out there. Max Homa, Kevin Kissner, Harris English. And then this past weekend's winner, at the 3M Open, Tony Finau will be out there as well. So uh, being that I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, uh, I will certainly be tuned in to the Rocket Mortgage Classic this week that is in Detroit, Uh, certainly more so than I was uh, the 3M Open. I didn't really catch a whole lot of the 3M Open. I kind of turned it on uh, over the weekend, but certainly nothing um, like I I normally do. But I'll, I'll be watching the Rocket Mortgage Classic a lot more in depth just because it is in Detroit and uh, the field itself, like I said, is, is pretty solid. So, uh, you know, FedEx cup points at a premium, certainly going to be, um, some pretty competitive golf. I think the field is good enough. The course being flat, uh, we'll probably see some very low scores. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we were, uh, greater than 20 under par for a winning score this weekend, but, uh, we'll have to uh, tune in and see, and we'll, recap it on next week's episode. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball, do a standings update here in the MLB. We have officially resumed play uh, after the All-Star break. I think uh, the All-Star break was last Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So uh, games resumed on Thursday. Most teams have played uh, six or seven games since the All-Star break as I record this podcast, which brings 
most teams' totals uh, into the mid to upper 90s in terms of games played this year between, you know, 96 and 99 games. So um, I think a couple teams are at 100. So um, we're, we're getting close. We're closing in. We only got about 62 to 65 games left in the regular season. So these division races are going to get tighter and tighter as we move along, and it'll be fun to keep track of. So we'll start off in the National League. The NL East, the New York Mets, are up top in that division. Uh, they're 61-37. and 37. They've won seven out of their last ten, including three in a row. Now, as I record this, they're in the middle of the Subway Series against the New York Yankees. And believe it or not, this is actually the first regular season series in which uh, first regular season Subway Series uh, that the New York Mets and the New York Yankees both have sole possession of first place in their respective divisions. Now, I thought that was very shocking. Uh, the Yankees have obviously always been good for the most part. The Mets have certainly had their moments, but I just thought that was uh, interesting that this was the very first regular season Subway Series that both of those teams are, are in sole possession of first place. Uh, the Mets have a three-game lead on the Atlanta Braves, who are 59-41. and 41. Now, the Braves lost outfielder Adam Duvall. He suffered a wrist injury, and uh, he's going to have to have season-ending surgery. So Duvall is out for the year. Philadelphia Phillies uh, are 10 games back of the New York Mets. They're 51-47. and 47. Miami Marlins are 46-52. and 52. They're four games uh Five games back of the Phillies, 15 back of the Mets. Now, their all-star pitcher, Sandy Alcantara, he pitched another eight innings in his outing this past weekend, and that was the ninth game this year that he has pitched at least eight innings in a game, which is the most in the majors this season by a mile. Uh, the Houston Astros and Philadelphia Phillies as a team both only have seven such games in which uh, they're pitcher they have a pitcher that has you know eight plus innings seven games uh, as a team and the Yankees and the new uh, the San Francisco Giants they only have five such games as a team so uh, Alcantara has uh, nine games by himself in which he's pitched at least eight innings which is uh, very incredible he's he's been one of the pleasant surprises this year and then there's the Washington Nationals who uh, are 34 and 66. Not only are they the worst team in the National League, they're the worst team in Major League Baseball. I have a feeling uh, that will be the case the rest of the way, especially if they trade Juan Soto, uh, which we'll get to in Around the Island. The NL Central, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers are 55 and 44. Uh, they have a three game lead on the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 52 and 47. Uh, Cardinals. Uh, not playing great baseball after the break, uh, but they're still certainly within striking distance in Milwaukee. The Chicago Cubs have overtaken third place. They're 40-57. and 57. They've actually won six games in a row uh, as I record this, so good winning streak for the Cubs. That has, they're 14 games behind the Brewers, so they're not certainly not going to catch them, but uh, they have passed the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pirates are 40-58. and 58. Uh, they've only won twice in their last 10 games, so they're in fourth place. And then the Cincinnati Reds have been camped out down there in last uh, all season. That's going to continue. They're 38-59. and 59. Um, National League West, 
this has gotten bigger and bigger as the division lead as as the weeks have gone on. It is tied now, officially tied, for the largest division lead in the major leagues at uh, 11 and a half games. The Dodgers are 65 and 32. Uh, quick note there, outfielder Mookie Betts hit his 200th career home run this past weekend for the Dodgers. Uh, they've won eight out of their last 10. Uh, they have an 11 and a half game lead on the San Diego Padres, who are 55 and 45. All right, so uh, San Diego is not going to catch the Dodgers. Uh, I would expect San Diego to settle comfortably into a wild card spot at this point. The San Francisco Giants, they are 48 and 50. They're 17 and a half games back of the Dodgers. Um, they're on a seven game losing streak, the Giants are. So uh, I mentioned the last, you know, basically majority of these standings updates that the Giants, the NL West could have three playoff teams. I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, the Giants, they still are certainly in the mix for a wild card, but um, they are quickly fading uh, in that. I think they're currently on the outskirts looking in there behind the uh, the Braves, the uh, Cardinals, and the Phillies. So uh, Giants got some work to do if they want to make the playoffs. Then, of course, you have the Arizona Diamondbacks at 45-53, and 53. And then the Colorado Rockies at 45 and 54. Uh, neither of those teams are going to be a factor. Uh, the American League. American League East. This is, uh, has been the biggest division lead all season. Uh, it's tied now at 11 and a half games. The New York Yankees are 66 and 33. Uh, outfielder Aaron Judge. He's hit a few more home runs since the All-Star break. I think he's hit either three or four since the All-Star break. Uh, he's currently on pace for 62 home runs, which would be an American League single-season record. Um, but the bad news is that their other All-Star outfielder, Giancarlo Stanton, he was just placed on the 10-day injured list with tendonitis in his left Achilles tendon. So keep an eye on that. The Yankees, uh, they, of course, uh, you know, still a great team, uh, even if Stanton misses a couple weeks. That will not affect their place in the standings. Uh, the Yankees did make a trade that uh, will provide some uh, uh, another all-star outfielder. We'll talk about that in Around the Island. But, yeah, watch out for New York, man. 11 and a half games clear of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Toronto, they're 54-44. and 44. They have won eight out of their last ten. And one of those games uh, was uh, last Friday their game against the Boston Red Sox, they scored a franchise record 28 runs. Okay, they won 28 to 5. Uh, it was a football score. They scored four touchdowns, all right? Uh, in that game, the Blue Jays, they hit for the home run cycle as a team, all right, including an inside-the-park grand slam. All nine of their starters had at least two hits and scored two runs, becoming only the second team since 1900 to do that in a single game. And then outfielder Lords Guriel Jr., he went six for seven at the plate with five RBIs and three runs scored. That was just in one game. Uh, had seven at-bats in that game. Got on, he got a hit in six of them. Drove in five. Just incredible stat line. Uh, the Blue Jays actually went on to sweep the Red Sox in that series. And in doing so, they scored a franchise record 40 runs in that series. So uh, incredible weekend for Toronto last weekend. They are very comfortably in a wild card spot in the American League, and I would certainly expect them to stay there the rest of the way. Uh, they're not catching the Yankees, but I do think that Toronto will slide into probably 
the top wild card spot. Uh, third place in the AL East is the Tampa Bay Rays. They are 53-45. and 45. They're 12 and a half games back of the Yankees. Uh, again, they're not catching New York, uh, but I do think that uh, the Rays at this point are in a wild card spot, so I think that they're playing well enough now to continue that. Fourth place, now listen to this, fourth place in the American League East, the Baltimore Bleepin' Orioles at 49-49. and 49. They're 16 and a half games back of the Yankees, all right? But the most important news is that they secured a winning record for the month of July, uh, which is now the first time since 2016 where they've gone two straight months over 500, all right? In May and June of 2016, they did it. And now they did it in June, going 14 and 12 this year, and then month of July, which we're still in, but... Uh, they will be above 500 in the month of June and July this year for the first time since 2016. Now, you'll notice who I have not mentioned in the American League East standings, and that is the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox are in last place in the AL East at 49-50. and 50. They're only a half game behind the Orioles, but currently, as it sits, uh, the Red Sox are in last place in the AL East. They've only won twice in their last 10 games. Uh, They're playing absolutely horrendous baseball, and it is just not a pretty scene there in Boston. Uh, I I don't think the Red Sox are making the playoffs. Um, Raphael Devers is on the injured list right now. They're not going anywhere without him. Uh, We'll see what his time frame is. I think it was just the 10-day IL, but... um, you know, we'll we'll see on that. You know, that division's already loaded enough, and they're um, far far enough behind the Blue Jays and Rays that uh, they're going to need to play their ass off over the next sixty three games that they have left. But over in the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins are fifty two and forty six. They have a one and a half game lead on the Cleveland Guardians, who are fifty and forty seven. Now the Guardians have won seven out of their last ten. The Chicago White Sox, they have been camped out in that third-place spot all season long. They're 49-49, and 49, uh, certainly a disappointing season. They're still um, in contention for the division. They're only three games back of the Twins, so that's certainly doable. That's probably the only way Chicago's getting into the playoffs is if they win their division because the wild card is, is going to be super competitive, and I just don't know that they have enough juice Um to do that, but pitcher Dylan Cease, he has been just amazing this year. I think uh, he's second in the major leagues in strikeouts right now, or maybe third. Some he's in the top three in strikeouts for for pitchers this year. Uh, the Detroit Tigers are fourth at forty and fifty nine, and then the Kansas City Royals are thirty nine and fifty nine. Now pitcher Zach Greinke for the Royals. He, this past week, he moved up to 20th all-time on the strikeout list with 2,856 career strikeouts. He's about 230 strikeouts away from passing John Smoltz for 19th all-time and about 240 strikeouts away from passing CC Sabathia for 18th all-time. I certainly think uh, he probably needs to play one more full year and be healthy in order to uh, surpass both of them. Uh, considering he does have the rest of this year. Um, but uh, it looks like, you know, Grinky's moving up on the strikeout list. Uh, over in the American League West, the Houston Astros, this is the second biggest division lead. Houston Astros are 64-35. and 35. 
Uh, their closer, Ryan Presley, he's retired 28 consecutive batters, which is the equivalent of a full game. Uh, three batters for nine innings is 27, and uh, he's at 28. So um, he's obviously their closer, so uh, it's been several games that he's done that, but he's retired 28 consecutive batters. That's a new franchise record for the Astros. The Astros are uh, are 10 games clear of the Seattle Mariners, who are 54 and 45. Now, the Mariners are right up there in that top wildcard spot or second wildcard spot right there with Toronto. Uh, but the Mariners, man, they entered the All-Star break on a 14-game winning streak. They then proceeded to get swept in a three-game series uh, by Houston, and then they just proceeded to sweep the Texas Rangers, my Texas Rangers. They just got done sweeping in a three-game series this week. So uh, they entered a 14-game win streak. They lost three in a row, then won three in a row. But uh, most importantly, Seattle is certainly a team to be reckoned with. And my preseason prediction of them uh, competing for the American League Championship uh, certainly is looking better and better as these weeks go by. Uh, third place in the AL West is my Texas Rangers. They're 43 and 54. All right. They're nine games under 500. They're 20 games behind the Astros. They've only won twice out of their last 10 games. Uh, said they just got swept by Seattle. Um, they are not playing good baseball uh, at all. Uh, their bullpen is an absolute mess. And, um, you know, just there. I, I, was, I had hope there for a minute about a month ago that they would, you know, make it interesting. But uh, it's it's not looking like it's it's going to be a, a good season. But certain, they'll be better than they were last year record-wise. They actually are tied with Houston for the most runs scored in this division, uh, which I think is interesting. Uh, but they're only plus three in run differential all season. So now the Rangers, they're in the midst of a lengthy road trip, all right, as, as I record this. It started last Thursday, which was right after the All-Star break, they played one game in Miami. They then flew to Oakland for a three-game series against the A's this past weekend. Then they just they flew to Seattle to play the Mariners for three games. Now they're flying back down to Los Angeles to play the Angels for four games. Then they're going to fly back home to Dallas. Uh, this is their first four-city road trip since 2013. And when it's all said and done, they will have traveled 5,705 miles with about 14 hours and 50 minutes of flight time. So that's exhausting. Uh, it's not exactly what you need uh, when, you're, when you're struggling. Uh, but uh, I mentioned they have the most runs scored in the American League West. They also lead the major leagues in stolen bases. I think as it sits, uh, sits now, they have 78 stolen bases, which leads the majors. So... Uh, they can. They got some some young guys that can run, and um, that's looking at least. You know their offense is good. It's it's the pitching that needs work. But fortunately, we have quite a few good pitchers in the farm system that uh, are should be ready by next year or the year after. So it is trending upward, but it's uh, it's brutal to be a Rangers pitcher right now. Um, speaking of pitching, the Rangers they signed free agent pitcher Dallas Keuchel to a minor league contract. Uh, Keiko won the 2015 Cy Young Award, and he just has not been able to find his footing this year. This is actually his third team that he's been on this season. He started with the Chicago White Sox, 
uh, got waived by them, went to the Arizona Diamondbacks, got waived by them, and now he lands in Texas. Uh, he's reporting to AAA Round Rock, so he'll probably make a couple of starts there before uh, being called up. But like I said, the Rangers need pitching help, and they need it fast. And um, Dallas Keuchel's not going to be any worse than, than the pitchers that we've seen thus far for the Rangers. So uh, I'm curious to see how that works out. Fourth place in the AL West, the Los Angeles Angels at 42-56. and 56. Uh, They got some horrible news this week. Mike, uh, Mike Trout, all-star, uh, one of the best players in the game. He's been out with a back injury, and it was just reported that uh, he's been diagnosed with this condition. I'm not going to try to butcher this, but it's uh, castavertebral dysfunction, right? It's like basically something with your vertebrae at the T5 vertebrae. All right, it's a, it's an extremely rare. This is what you need to know about it. I don't know how the hell to say it, but it's extremely rare the condition, and it's going to need to be monitored for the rest of his career, is what the doctor said. Which, you know, who knows how that's how long he's got left, basically, because it was also reported that there's no timetable for his return from this injury right now. With the way the Angels have been playing, they're 21 and a half games out of the division lead. Uh, they're, you know, far out of a wild card spot. They're, they're not making the playoffs. The Angels are, are done this year. And so uh, it would probably behoove Mike Trout to take the rest of the year off. But uh, that's very likely. So stay tuned on that. We'll, we'll see. But uh, don't be surprised if it comes out, you know, in a week or two that Mike Trout's done for the year. And then lastly, the Oakland A's, 38-63, and 63, bringing up the rear. They have won seven out of their last 10 games, though. Now, they also just swept the last place Oakland A's, swept the first place Houston Astros this week in a series, which was the very first time all season that the Astros have been swept. And it comes at the hands of the pitiful Oakland A's. So uh, just... Thought that was uh, noteworthy as well, but um, yeah, like I said, we are we're cruising right along in the baseball season. Teams are uh, between ninety six and one hundred games played, so we got uh, about sixty two to sixty five games left on the docket. And uh, with each week that passes, we'll continue to bring you up to date on how the standings are looking and and uh, what the playoffs are shaping up to be. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. It's a pretty information-loaded segment this week, particularly in the NFL, the NHL, and the MLB. Um, We'll start off in the National Football League. Uh, The training camps have begun. All 32 teams are officially underway with their training camps, so that's exciting. That means football season is right around the corner. But we have a few free agent signings. Uh, to report, uh, or re-signings, I guess, in this case here. Uh, The first one is Kyler Murray, uh, the Arizona Cardinals quarterback. Uh, The Kyler Murray saga began a couple months ago when he said he was going to hold out a training camp and wait for a new contract. He still has two years remaining uh, on his current contract, but he wanted, uh, based on his performance, the first three years of his deal, uh, he has wanted a pay raise, right? So don't we all? But uh, after all that drama, uh, he ended up re-signing with the Arizona Cardinals on a five-year, $230.5 million extension with $160 million guaranteed. 
Uh, that's just ridiculous money. Uh, the deal actually makes Kyler Murray the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL by average annual value, which is at $46.1 million per season. All right, second highest in the league behind Aaron Rodgers, uh, who's right at 50. And it ties Kyler Murray to Arizona for the next seven years, right? So he's got two years left on the rookie deal, uh, plus the five-year extension that he just got. So interesting note about that $46.1 million salary that he'll be making every year. The Oakland Athletics of Major League Baseball, they drafted Kyler Murray ninth overall in the 2018 Major League Baseball draft. Um, you know, the, the year before he got drafted number one overall by the Arizona Cardinals. The Oakland A's, uh, of course, he shunned the A's, Murray did, to go play in the NFL for the Cardinals. The Oakland A's have a payroll this season of $48.5 million for their entire team. And Kyler Murray is set to make $46.1 million per year in the NFL. So I would say that he definitely chose the right league, uh, being the NFL. He was the first overall pick in that draft that, um, I believe it was 2019. So uh, pretty interesting fact there. But the most intriguing part of the contract that Kyler Murray signed was the addendum that requires Kyler Murray to study film for four hours per week during every season of the contract. All right, The contract specifically states that Murray is going to need to study, quote, material provided to him by the club in order to prepare for the club's next upcoming game. Now, the addendum additionally states that Kyler Murray uh, needs to spend, uh, or the time that Kyler Murray spends in the mandatory meetings does not count towards his film study, and that he will not receive credit if he does not, quote, personally study the provided material in good faith. All right, so um, lots of you know, stuff there uh, to unpack. But basically, it's pretty hilarious that they had to actually put a clause in his contract that says that he has to study. That would tell you that he wasn't studying film for four hours a week the past three seasons, or at least a great portion of that. Because uh, why else would you put a clause in somebody's contract to, to study film? I mean, quite literally, his job as a quarterback is to study film and to get better. Um, but the fact that they have to put that in the contract as an actual clause uh, is is very interesting, and he obviously was okay with it because he signed the deal, and um, if you want to get paid, you need to follow the rules. So uh, all in all, it's going to benefit. I mean, Kyler Murray is already one of the top probably 10 quarterbacks in the league due to his rushing ability, his athleticism, his deep ball accuracy, uh, is not the physically uh, imposing quarterback like uh, others in the league are. Uh, he's just just under six feet tall, but uh, he can still ball. So Kyler Murray in Arizona for the next seven years. Now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, they made well. We'll get to them in a second. The Chicago Bears, they added some offensive line depth. They signed offensive tackle Riley Reef to a one-year deal worth up to twelve and a half million. It's going to earn them $10 million plus uh, $2.5 million in incentives. And then the Miami Dolphins, they added to their incredibly crowded wide receiver room already. Of course, they had Jalen Waddell. They signed Cedric Wilson in free agency away from Dallas. And then, of course, they made the massive trade before the draft to acquire Tyreek Hill from the Chiefs. So they went out and they signed wide receiver Mohamed Sanu. Uh, Sanu is a veteran in the league. 
probably looking at wide receiver four status on that team at best. Um, but uh, we'll see. He might not even make the team. So that's that's kind of just a depth signing at this point. We'll see how he does in camp. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I just mentioned them. They actually made two signings this past week. Uh, the first one uh, was tight end Kyle Rudolph. They signed him to a one-year contract. And now what's funny is Tom Brady, of course, we know he went to Michigan. Uh, Kyle Rudolph went to Notre Dame. Those two schools are obviously rivals. And whenever the signing news broke, Tom Brady jokingly told Kyle Rudolph that he would never be his first read uh, due to the fact that Rudolph went to Notre Dame. So uh, kind of some uh, welcome to the team joking around there. But the the signing that made the bigger news uh, by the Buccaneers was that the Buccaneers have signed seven-time Pro Bowl wide receiver Julio Jones to a one-year contract. I believe the number is $6.5 million. Um, You know, Julio is certain he's 33 years old. Uh, He's spent over a decade with the Atlanta Falcons, had a lost year last year with the Tennessee Titans, got hurt, missed a bunch of games. His hamstring seems to always be an issue. Uh, I'm not saying he's completely done, but he's certainly not the Julio Jones that he was, you know, eight, nine years ago. Uh, Those years have passed, but uh, I still think he can be valuable, especially with Chris Godwin's status kind of still up in the air as far as when he's going to come back. Um, But this is Julio Jones' best chance to win a Super Bowl, uh, aside from the fact uh, when he was in the Super Bowl with the Atlanta Falcons and they were up 28-3 to and blew that lead. Uh, to the Patriots a few years ago. But uh, this uh, Julio Jones enters the year this year with his best chance to win a Super Bowl uh, at preseason status. So keep an eye on that. Um, I mentioned training camps opening up. I came across this short list of teams uh, with the most salary cap space left for this year. The Cleveland Browns somehow have the most salary cap room at $48.02 million in cap room. I don't know how the hell they're just printing money like the like the L.A. Rams. Um, they had they signed Deshaun Watson, uh, gave him over two hundred million guaranteed. So his AAV is somewhere in the mid forties. Uh, uh, Nick Chubb, you know he makes a running back. He makes quite a bit of money. Miles Garrett, Pro Bowl defensive end, uh, he makes a lot. Amari Cooper makes twenty million. And that they just signed tight end David Njoku, re-signed him a couple weeks ago to a ridiculous deal that pays him $13 million. Uh, And he hasn't done jack shit in the NFL. So I don't know where the Browns come up with all this money, but um, I think they're printing like Monopoly money or something there in Cleveland. The team with the second most salary cap space at the moment is my Dallas Cowboys. Uh, And this shocked me. They have $21.9 million in salary cap space right now entering training camp, which uh, I'm surprised they didn't spend that. They could have offered at least half of that to Vaughn Miller, you know, per year. You know, I mean, they, they, they could have signed Vaughn Miller. They should have signed Vaughn Miller. He's from Dallas. He wanted to come home, but Buffalo offered him more than what Dallas did, or maybe Dallas didn't even offer him. I, I don't know. But um, the point is, is the Cowboys have almost $22 million in salary cap space, uh, and they haven't done really anything with it. In fact, I think their roster now is worse than it was last year at this time. So uh, we'll see if Jerry Jones decides to sign anybody. And then the third uh, most salary cap space at the moment entering training camps, the Carolina Panthers, $20.61 million. Uh, some other NFL news. 
uh, NFL, a bunch of teams released um, some alternate uniforms for this season, some different helmets, uh, throwback helmets and uniforms that teams are going to be wearing this year. Uh, I won't, you know, I don't need to describe them. You can Google them all, but uh, the, the coolest one to me is the Cincinnati Bengals. A lot of teams are going with the blackout concept, uh, Arizona, Washington, Philly, New York Jets, Carolina, Panthers, and the New Orleans Saints all went with like a blackout concept. But the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, their helmets, you know, are orange with the black tiger stripes. Well, they're going with white helmets with the black tiger stripes, and they're getting the white jerseys to match. Those are probably the coolest uh, looking jerseys. But like I said, uh, the teams that are going to be wearing throwbacks this year, the Dallas Cowboys, the Atlanta Falcons, the New York Giants, and the New England Patriots. So if you want to Google those uh, helmets and uniforms, I, I suggest that you do because some of them are pretty cool looking, but um, uh, that's just something to note there. Now, some very unfortunate news came out of Houston this past week. Uh, Houston Texans second-round pick wide receiver John Mechie III announced that he's been diagnosed with a form of leukemia and he's not going to play this season. Now, the good news is that the form of leukemia that he was diagnosed with is the most curable. So Mechie is expected to make a full recovery as it sits right now. <clears throat> now, the Texans traded up in the second round to, to draft John Mechie. Probably would have been a first-round pick in April had he not blown his ACL out in the SEC championship game with Alabama. So back-to-back, -back, very unfortunate things for John Mechie. Uh, he, he missed the, the national championship game against Georgia because he had tore his knee up in that SEC championship game. So uh, I wish a speedy recovery to John Mechie. That's just um, horribly unfortunate. We did, uh, to wrap up the NFL, we did have two retirements this past week. A longtime NFL wide receiver, Danny Amendola, he's renounced, uh, announced his retirement from the NFL after 13 seasons. He played for the Rams, the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Lions, and the Texans. Uh, he won two Super Bowl titles with the New England Patriots in 2014 and 2016. Finished his career with 617 catches for 6,212 yards and 24 touchdowns. All right, uh, Amendola did actually receive interest from several teams this offseason, uh, was signing for them, but he uh, chose to retire uh, in order to pursue other interests, which uh, one of them is believed to be uh, in broadcasting. So um, congrats to Amendola, two-time Super Bowl champion. And the other retirement came out of Seattle. The Seattle Seahawks running back Chris Carson, he's decided to hang up the cleats as well. He only played four seasons in the NFL. Um, he injured his neck this past season, a very physical runner. Uh, he got a neck injury this past year. He actually had to have neck fusion surgery, which, of course, ended his season. So this retirement actually makes sense. Uh, Chris Carson, he was a seventh-round pick uh, four years ago, and uh, he rushed for uh, – he had 769 career carries, 3,502 yards, and 24 touchdowns. All right, now he failed his physical, obviously, uh, so the Seahawks decided to release – Carson. And by doing that, the collective bargaining agreement allows Chris Carson to receive several million dollars uh, in injury protection benefits. So uh, his retirement check uh, for injury benefits will be several million. So at least uh, he is getting some compensation uh, that he would have certainly made uh, by playing. But 
We'll move over to the National Hockey League. A few free agent signings to uh, report here. The Nashville Predators, they signed forward Nino Niederreiter. Two years, $8 million. The Pittsburgh Penguins re-signed forward Kasperi Kapanen. Two years, $6 million. And then the Winnipeg Jets, they extended a qualifying offer to forward Pierre-Luc Dubois. One year, $6 million, and he accepted it. Uh, probably could have gotten more on the open market. Former third overall pick, uh, I think maybe four years ago now. Uh, but he is staying in Winnipeg. Um, former Winnipeg Jet Patrick Line, he re-signed with the Columbus Blue Jackets on a four-year, $34.8 million deal. That's about 8.7 per season. So big money there for Patrick Line. They get to pair him with uh, Johnny Goudreau, who they signed a couple weeks ago. Now, a couple of trades to report. Uh, the first one, uh, after re-signing Patrick Line, that put the Columbus Blue Jackets about $8 million over the salary cap. So they had to dump some salary, and they did that by trading forward Oliver Bjorkstrand to the Seattle Kraken in exchange for a third and fourth round pick in next summer's draft. Okay, It's a fantastic deal for the Seattle Kraken. They're loaded with draft picks um, for the foreseeable future. They got a great young group of of forwards that they, you know, have drafted and and put in place. Uh, And Oliver Bjorkstrand, still a young player. He's only 27 years old, coming off a career year. He scored 28 goals, had 29 assists. That's 57 points in 80 games this year. Averaged 18 minutes of ice time. He's going to fit right in there on Seattle's either first or second line uh, as a winger. So great trade for the, the Kraken. Uh, interesting note about this trade, Oliver Bjorkstrand had actually just bought a house and got married in Ohio less than one week prior to when this trade went down. And he was actually on his honeymoon when he was notified that he was traded. So he bought a house in Ohio, got married in Ohio, went on his honeymoon and then got told, oh, by the way, hey, happy honeymoon. You're uh, you're now a, a member of the Seattle Kraken. So that house you just bought, yeah, you're going you're gonna to have to move. But uh, so that was uh, pretty interesting there. But uh, either way, Seattle's getting a hell of a hell of a player there in uh, Bjorkstrand. Now, the other trade that went down was a major trade, all right? And it involved what I had alluded to last week regarding the Calgary Flames and their forward Matthew Kachuk asking for a trade. Um, the Flames did, in fact, trade forward Matthew Kachuk and a fourth-round pick in 2025 to the Florida Panthers. Now, the Florida Panthers sent back Forward Jonathan Huberdeau, defenseman Mackenzie Weger, uh, Cole Schwint, who's a, a minor league player, and a first-round pick in 2025. Now, after the trade, Kachuk immediately signed an eight-year, $76 million deal. That's $9.5 million per year for the next eight years for Kachuk. Uh, so he signed with Florida. Now, that's a, that's a blockbuster trade. Um, I cannot believe the Florida Panthers gave up Jonathan Huberdeau for Matthew Kachuk. Uh, Huberdeau was tied for second in the league in points last year with 115. He led the league in assists with 85 assists. And Kachuk was eighth in the league in points with 104. Um, Huberdeau's 29 years old. Kachuk's 24. So they do get a bit younger. uh, But they're two totally different style of players. Honestly, that trade... Probably could have been straight up uh, Matthew Kachuk for Jonathan Huberdeau, but the problem is that Huberdeau's in the last year of his contract. So if he does not re-sign with the Calgary Flames, 
the Flames wanted insurance uh, for that deal, so they weren't just giving up Kachuk for a couple of younger players and a draft pick. They wanted, uh, you know, they wanted at least a chance to re-sign Huberto after this season. So we'll see how that goes. But um, after that trade, the Florida Panthers now do not have a first-round pick for four drafts in a row. All right, that's this year, 2022, all the way through 2025. Uh, they gave up a couple of first-round picks to acquire Claude Giroux at the trade deadline this past season, and he was only with them for 30 games before he signed with the Ottawa Senators. So uh, the longest span without a first-round pick in NHL history is six years. Two different teams have done that. Uh, the Panthers, uh, this year through the next few years, unless they acquire a first-round pick somehow, they would become the fifth team in NHL history to go at least four years without a fir- four years in a row without a first round pick. So interesting stuff there. Um, I, they're like the Los Angeles Rams of the NHL. Uh, don't believe in first round picks. The final piece of NFL news deals with the San Jose Sharks. They have officially found their new head coach. They've hired David Quinn to take the reins. Uh, Quinn was formerly the head coach of the New York Rangers for parts of three seasons. His record there was 96, 87, and 25 in 208 games. Uh, He missed the playoffs twice, and the only time he did make the playoffs, it was the qualifying round of the playoffs in the 2020 NHL postseason bubble. That was basically an expanded playoff. So, um, you know, he, he uh, he didn't quite make the playoffs. He just made the qualifying round which is still better than nothing, but uh, didn't have great success is, is what I'm trying to say. Now, he was a successful head coach at Boston University um, when he, uh, prior to coaching the Rangers. Uh, I think he won a, a national championship at BU. Now, uh, he also coached Team USA in the 2021 Beijing Winter Olympics, and uh, Team USA looked good. They came out strong. They were, you know, looking like they were going to be a force to be reckoned with, but they ended up losing a shocker to Slovakia in the quarterfinals. Now, on that Slovakian team was uh, number one overall pick in this year's draft, Uri Slavkovsky. Talked about him a couple weeks ago. But, yeah, so um, just interesting, you know, coaching hire there. I mean, the Sharks, they're – more in rebuild mode now, especially after trading Brent Burns. But we'll see how that works out. We'll zip over real quick to the NBA. Uh, the only NBA noteworthy thing, of course, we're full-blown offseason there. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, they have officially re-signed James Harden. Two-year deal worth $68.6 million. That's you know $38.3 million per year, which is, again, just another... Uh, belligerent contract that's been handed out in the NBA. I've I've said that before. It's, the NBA money is is stupid money. Now the deal for Harden, it's two years, but it includes the player option for the second year. So uh, Harden could opt out of the contract after this upcoming season. Which if Philly doesn't make it, you know, at least to the conference finals, I would fully expect James Harden to opt out and seek other options. But uh, moving over to Major League Baseball. Uh, last week, I mentioned the Juan Soto drama about him rejecting the Washington Nationals' 15-year contract offer worth $440 million. All right, Soto's 23 years old, one of the generational talents in baseball right now. But that all happened right before the All-Star break. So the Nationals basically said F you to Juan Soto. 
they refused to fly him to Los Angeles for the All-Star game on their charter plane. So he ended up flying commercial like the rest of us peons, and he did not arrive in Los Angeles until 1.30 a.m. this past Monday, or Monday morning, which was the morning of the Home Run Derby. Now, uh, he went out that night, Monday night, Dodger Stadium, and won the Home Run Derby, as we discussed last week. So at this point, based on all that, I would actually expect Soto to be traded, um, if not before the trade deadline uh, in the coming week and a half or so, then certainly in the offseason. But uh, oddly enough, Soto wasn't the only All-Star player that was booked to fly commercial to the All-Star game. Oakland A's uh, pitcher Paul Blackburn, he was also scheduled to fly commercial to Los Angeles. Uh, now, from Oakland, that's probably like an hour flight, but hour and a half maybe. Uh, but, you know, the Houston Astros, they actually they had heard about this news about Blackburn being flown commercial instead of with the charter and uh, they actually offered to fly him in their charter plane with the Houston Astros all-star players. So uh, props to the Astros for being classy. Uh, Not too often we've said that over the last few years with the whole cheating scandal and the fact that they get booed everywhere they go. So uh, that was pretty cool for the Astros to step up and do that. Uh, Just thought that was noteworthy on here. Now, speaking of the All-Star Game, I recapped it last week. I talked about the broadcast and what I thought, how they did a tremendous job of keeping the viewers engaged with having a ton of players mic'd up, including like pitchers on the mound while they were pitching, batters while they were hitting, guys in the field. Like It was really fun to watch. Uh, but the ratings came out for the All-Star Game, and it only averaged 7.51 million viewers on Fox, which was a 9.7% decrease from last year's All-Star Game, and it was statistically the least-watched All-Star Game in Major League Baseball history, which to me uh, is just, you know, they didn't advertise that they were miking up their players, all right? So, um, you know, that that's, uh, if they would have advertised that, they probably would have gotten a lot more viewers, all right? And, uh, but, you know, the least amount of people in uh, MLB history Uh, tuned in for what was probably one of the most fun Major League Baseball All-Star games to actually watch. So uh, it was was pretty entertaining. Um, I I don't really know. You know, it was a competitive game. It was three to two, a lot of offense early, and then it was kind of a pitching duel. Uh, It was pretty much all you could ask for for an All-Star game. So uh, the fact that it was the lowest viewed kind of was a surprise. But Uh, The Major League Baseball trade deadline is coming up, like I said, so we do have two trades to make note of. The first one, the New York Mets, they acquired uh, first baseman Daniel Vogelbach from the Pittsburgh Pirates in exchange uh, for a uh, pitcher by the name of Colin Holderman. Uh, That's not really noteworthy, but uh, in his first game with the Mets, Daniel Vogelbach actually broke up a no-hitter with his first hit as a Met, so that was I thought that was interesting, Uh, but the only trade at this particular moment, as of this recording, that's um, kind of a big trade is the New York Yankees. They went out and they acquired Kansas City Royals outfielder Andrew Benatendi, all right? His name has been on the rumor mill for trades for the last couple weeks. Uh, It had been rumored that he was going to New York, and the Yankees finally came through. The only thing they're sending to Kansas City uh, are three minor leaguers, all right? So uh, Yankees certainly are playing really well this year, uh, looking like a strong World Series contender. 
and they go out and they get the lone Kansas City Royals all-star in Andrew Benatendi. So certainly a good acquisition there for the Yankees. Uh, we'll close this segment uh, with some college football news. All right, We had some potentially massive college football news come out. Uh, the Division I Council has endorsed a proposal that would add a transfer portal window. Basically, uh, D1 college football players would have two periods of time one in the winter and one in the spring, to enter the transfer portal and immediately be eligible to play. Uh, the proposal was endorsed by the D1 Council and sent off to the NCAA for final approval. So this would be huge. Now, uh, normally, right as it is the last couple years since this transfer portal has kind of been hot and heavy, the only time that players have been eligible to enter is in the spring uh, after the football season. But if there's a transfer portal period of time in the winter, um, you know, there's been no dates mentioned, but, you know, winter technically is in the middle of, you know, football season's in the fall, but the the tail end of the season is the winter. So uh, bowl games are in December and the college football playoff games are all mid-January, beginning to mid-January. So uh, right around that New Year's Eve uh, first week and a half of January is when all those college football playoff games are. So uh, depending on what date they set on this, uh, it's it's possible that, you know, these, these college football players can start the season with one school, transfer, and finish the year with another school uh, who might potentially be in the playoffs. Uh, now, I don't know the specifics on that. I'm sure that'll get released once it's published, but... Um, Man, that that could be huge. Um, you know, just keep an eye on that. Uh, but I thought that was certainly worth noting in here. Uh, and the final piece of news from college football, University of Georgia head coach Kirby Smart, he has agreed to a new 10-year, $112.5 million contract extension with the University of Georgia football program, making him one of the highest paid coaches in college football, all right? His average annual value, of course, you do the math there, that's $11.25 million per year to coach the University of Georgia football team. Now, that puts him in Nick Saban territory uh, from Alabama, of course. Dabo Swinney from Clemson makes around that much. Uh, Lincoln Riley at USC, he's he's in that range. So th- those are the kind of coaches that he's getting paid like and of course, they are the reigning national champions of college football, so uh, certainly well-deserved. Uh, that defense had, I think, five first-round picks or six first-round picks, so uh, it is an NFL factory there in Athens, Georgia. So um, uh, that is going to wrap up the 85th episode of the Sports Island Podcast Uh you know, we got a, a good golf tournament this week in the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Uh, baseball's, uh, you know, getting into the, you know, the second half of their season. So it's going to be um, some competitive baseball being played, close division races, as we mentioned. So, um, and NFL training camps have started. So, you know, you can see uh, coverage uh, on that. So there is certainly uh, sports going on right now. Plenty, plenty to discuss and We'll get you caught up on everything next week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.